great to be with you, church. We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to get to a text that's going to be so very helpful in answering a question that most Christians, if not all Christians, have. It's going to be so very helpful in answering one of the most common questions that we hear and get from you guys, and the question is this, if I'm a Christian, why do I keep sinning? You guys ever asked that? If I'm a Christian, if I believe in Jesus, why do I keep sinning? We talked about Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, how Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 is a description of everything that God did to save us. He chose us. He chose you before the foundations of the world to be his. He sent his son. He sent his son for you to provide redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. Not only that, he's adopted you. Now you are his sons and his daughters. And you're sitting here saying, I believe that. I believe all those things. I believe he did all those things for me. So then why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep living in a way that pains the heart of my God that did all those things for me? Why am I tempted to sin? Why do I even want to sin? Why does it seem like I have this victory over this sin in my life for a period of time and then it just comes crashing back in? If I'm a Christian, why do I keep sinning? So today's text is going to answer that question, but not only that, it's going to answer the next questions. The next question is, so can I change, right? So can I change? Will, will my life look like this for the rest of my life or can I change? And the question after that, how can I change? How can I change? So three questions we want to address today in this text. Number one, if I'm a Christian, why do I keep sinning? Number two, can I change? And number three, how can I change? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul in this text is urging the church at Ephesus to no longer walk in the way that they used to walk. He's saying, church, you're Christians now. You're Christians now. You were Gentiles. You were far from God, but now you've been called near. You were in darkness, but now you are in the light. He's saying you have a new identity. You have a new family now. You were God's enemies, but now you are his sons and daughters. 
He calls this the old self, the old self. And he's urging them to put off the old self, which belonged to their former manner of life. And why is he telling them to put off the old self? Think about it. Why is he telling them to put off the old self? Because it's still on them, right? They're Christians, but it's still on them. You see, there's the answer for why, even though we're Christians, we still sin. Because even though our old self, it's been dealt with on the cross. Did you know that? Our old self, the Bible says, has been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 says. And so even though our old self, it's old, it's dead, it's crucified, it's dealt with. But the remnant of that old person is still on us. That's the reason we keep sinning. Even though we're Christians, we keep sinning not because we haven't changed. We keep sinning not because God hasn't saved us, not because there isn't something different and new about us now, but because of that old man, that old self, the remnant of him is still on us. And so that's the first key in understanding that all, in all of our sinning, okay, what's the sin in your life that's plaguing you? What's the sin in your life that you have to deal with over and over and over again? You have some in mind, at least one in mind. Keep that in mind as we continue through this message. What we have to understand is in all the ways that you sin, those sins are tied not to your new self, but they're tied to your old self. And all those sins that you're doing, it's not you anymore. I don't know if you've ever been told that. And all those sins that you're committing, it's not you anymore. It's who you were. It's who you were. In other words, because God has saved you, because you are a new creation, what Paul is saying is there is an oldness to the sins in your life. You guys feel that? There's an oldness to the sins in your life. Whatever sin that's plaguing you, that you're committing over and over, having to deal with again and again, it's a remnant of how things used to be. It's a remnant of something that's already dead, something that's already crucified. It's a remnant of something already dealt with. But it's lingering. And it's still on you until you identify it as old, until you see it as something that's already dealt with, and then you put it off of you. Is that how you view your sin? As something that belongs to your old, dead self. When you sin by trusting in your, your ways over God's ways, are you thinking, oh, well, I, I failed again. When you sin, that commit that sin once again, are you thinking to yourself, I guess this is just the way that I am? Are you thinking to yourself, I guess this is just the way that I'll always be? Or are you thinking to yourself, oh man, there goes that old self again. I'm not, I'm not that way anymore. That's who I used to be. That's who I was. I'm not that anymore. There goes the remnant of that old man. There's this piece of that old man. I see it on my life. I didn't see it before, but I see it now, and I'm going to take it off. Is that how you view your sin? There's a story of St. Augustine. If you know him, you might know him to be one of the greatest theologians that the church has ever known from back in the fourth century. Um, But before he became a Christian, he was... 
he was kind of a playboy. He lived kind of this debauched kind of life. And I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon, and in it he gives the story of, of uh, St. Augustine right after he became a believer. And this old prostitute friend that he used to frequently visit comes up to him and says, Hey, Augustine, how you doing? You want to come home with me? And Augustine just looks at her and just says, No, sorry. And he walks away. And she goes after him. She says, Augustine, Augustine, don't you remember who I am? It's me. It's me. And he says to her, yes, but it's not me. Yes, but it's not me. When you look at your old self, when you look at how you were, what you did, how you used to live, is there this overwhelming sense of, that's not me. That's who I was, but it's not me anymore. I'm not that anymore. When you look at your life before Jesus saved you, do you have this overwhelming sense of, that's who I was? I think many of you in a room this size, you would say yes. I would imagine that many of you have powerful testimonies of living a certain kind of life. But then God delivered you powerfully and miraculously and he's changed you and you're so different now. But I also imagine that there are many of you like me and your testimony is that you grew up in a Christian home. Your parents taught you the Bible. You grew up in youth group. And one day you heard the gospel for the hundredth time. Except this time somebody said, hey, if you believe this and you want to be saved, and you want to give your life to Jesus, pray and ask Jesus into your heart. And so you did. And I'm not trying to make it sound trivial, because it wasn't. You genuinely believed. You really asked Jesus to save you. And he did. And you've been a Christian ever since. But when I was um, in college, I was at a Christian fraternity called Bucks, Brothers Under Christ at Texas A&M, and there was like, Three to four hundred of us, large group. And so one of the things we did to try to get to know each other is we would go, go to lunch, go out to lunch, and we would share testimonies, you know, have little lunch dates and share testimonies. <laughs> and um, at these testimonies, I, I remember being blown away by some of these testimonies, uh, stories of how God so powerfully and miraculously delivers some of these young men out of drugs and out of addictions and some of them even out of cultic and satanic practices. And I remember being blown away. And then it was my turn. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents taught me Bible stories. I got saved at youth camp. And I remember thinking, man, I wish I had a better testimony to share. You see, some of you, you have testimonies where you have absolutely no problems distinguishing the person you were then and the person you are now. You look so different. While others of us, if you're just looking at us from the outside, it doesn't seem like we changed all that much, you know? There's some changes, but there's, we have a harder time saying, that's who I was, but now I'm this. It's harder for us to identify this old self so that we could put it off. But is that true? When it comes to our salvation... Did God really have to powerfully, miraculously save some people because they were so far gone while others of us, we we were pretty good. We weren't all that bad. And so God didn't have to work as hard. Is that true? 
Well, I want us to see something. I want us to see again the descriptions of the old man, the old self that Paul is describing. And I want us to see that the description of the old man is largely internal, not external. Largely internal, the state of the heart and the state of the mind, Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So verse 17, the old self, we had a futility of the mind. Well, what does that mean? It means that we wasted our rational powers thinking about worthless objects. Our minds were fixated on only thinking about temporal things, immediate gratifications, not eternal things. Verse 18, he tells us that we had a darkened understanding and there was an ignorance in us. What he's saying is that every single one of us, without exception, every single one of us, powerful testimony or not, every one of us before Christ had a darkened understanding and we were ignorant to the truth. There was both an unwilling, unwillingness to embrace and an inability to understand the gospel. There was a barrier between us and our ability to embrace and understand the gospel. In verses 18 through 19, Paul tells us that not only did we have a darkened understanding and an ignorance of the mind, but we also had a hardness of the heart. Hardness of the heart, a callousness. We, we lost all sensitivity. We were sinning, right? We were rebelling against the holy and infinite God, but we didn't feel like we were sinning. At least to the extent that we were, right? There, we didn't feel the level of shame that we ought to have felt. We didn't feel the level of guilt that we ought to have felt. Why? Because there was a callousness of the heart. So think about the description of the old man so far. It's all internal, right? It's a description of what, what our minds were like, what our hearts were like. And then out of the overflow of that internal state, we finally get to the external in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The description of the old self is largely internal, okay? And then it finally gets to some external implications. But we think the opposite. When we think about our old selves, we think largely in terms of the external, the things that we used to do, the things that we used to practice, the things that we used to say, right? And so we have this discrepancy of some Christians feeling like their lives really changed, okay? Here are the things I used to do. Here are the things I do now. Some of us feel like our lives really change, while others of us, we just look at the external and think, ah, we didn't change all that much. But don't you see, no matter who you are, no matter how you used to live, what you used to practice, whether you grew up doing drugs or whether you grew up in youth group or both, right? At the moment Jesus saved you, something massively changed inside of you. Okay? At the moment God saved you, something massively changed inside of you. Ephesians 4.20. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. No, it says you have heard about him, but in the Greek it's not heard about him, it's literally you have heard him. Literally, you have heard him. If you're a Christian here today, what Paul is saying is that there was a moment in your life when you heard Jesus. There was a moment in your life when Jesus spoke to you and you heard him. John chapter 10, 27 says, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, the darkened and ignorant mind that couldn't quite understand the gospel. There was a moment when you heard Jesus and you were taught in him and so now you understand. So now you understand. And in that moment when you heard Jesus, God replaced that heart of stone. That re- he replaced that stony, dead, callous heart that couldn't feel with the heart of flesh that was beating, pumping, life. You could feel now so that you could embrace Jesus. He replaced the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. So you see, there are no not powerful testimonies. Every every testimony, every single one of yours, is a powerful testimony of how God delivered you out from darkness into life. Out of death into life. Every single one of us have a, has a story of a heart transplant. Our old dead hearts were replaced with the heart of flesh, a living heart. And that's the key to answering the second question, can I change? The key to answering the second question of can I change is an understanding that we've already been changed so massively already, okay? Can I actually put these sins to death? These habitual sins that I have, can I actually receive victory over them? These besetting sins, theologians used to call them. Will I be able to change? Can I have victory? Will the rest of my life look like this? Can I change, asks the Christian. The emphatic answer of the Bible is yes. Yes, you can change. And the key to knowing you can change. And the fuel to keep persevering you as you work to change is in knowing that you've already been changed massively on your insides, your heart and your mind. It's already been changed. So what the Bible is telling us is that if you're a Christian here today, because God has already done so much in massively changing you on the inside, it's just a matter of time before you start changing on the outside. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says it like this. And I am sure of this. Okay? I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because God has began the good work of doing away with your old self on the cross. Because God has already massively changed us on the inside. We ought to feel an inevitability when it comes to our future changing. Okay? Because we're saying, God, you've already changed me so massively on the inside. When we look to our future changing, we ought to feel an inevitability. Future changing. The theological term is sanctification. 
This message at the end of the day, it's about your sanctification. If you ever wondered what that word means, it's about us changing. Okay? Let's do a quick theology lesson. If you're a Christian here today, there was a moment in your life when you were saved. Okay? The theological term is justification. Justification. There was a moment in your life when God declared you legally free. When God declared you legally not guilty because of the work of Jesus. It's a one-time act. Okay? Where God is the sole actor, not you. Why? Because you were dead. God saved you. He alone saves you. And then the Bible says there's coming a day in the future when we're dead or when Jesus comes back and we get to be with Jesus forever. And, and when that happens, we will be perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, no sin. Okay? The Bible calls that glorification. Glorification. That's the theological term. And so the question is, what is happening in between? What's happening in between the time that we're saved until the time that we're going to be perfect and sinless, perfectly holy? What's happening? The theological term is sanctification. The Bible says we change from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory to another. That we're going to be changing. Okay? And when it comes to our holiness, righteousness, obedience, and living a life of worship, we ought to feel that we're on this inevitable path. Okay? Because when Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, he says it like this. Those whom he foreknew before the foundations of the world. Those whom he foreknew, if you're a Christian here today, that's you. Those whom he foreknew, he chose. He chose. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What he's saying is there's an unbreakable link of salvation that you are on if you're a Christian. He chose you. He knew you before the foundations of the world to be his. And so he predestined you. And so he called you. And so he justified you. And there's coming a day when he will glorify you. You're on an unbreakable chain. If you're a Christian, you will not fall out of this chain. Do you feel when it comes to your sanctification, when it comes to the thought of, man, will I ever come to a place where, where I will be holy, where I will be sinless, not deal with these sins anymore? Do you feel that you are, an in, you are on an inevitable path? When you fall into temptation and sin, you ought to be thinking to yourself, I know I failed again, but I know, I am sure of this, that it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before I start changing. I know, God, I disobeyed you in this again, but I know, I know it's inevitable that one day I'm going to start obeying you on this. I'm on an unbreakable chain. I'm on an inevitable path. God is changing me. One of my favorite Matt Carter quotes, he says that for the Christians, sinning is a monumental waste of time. For Christians, if you're a Christian, sinning, is a monumental waste of time. Why? Because you're going to change. It's a monumental waste of time because you're not going to stay in that sin. God's going to change you. It's an inevitability. So first question again, if I'm a Christian, why do I keep sinning? Because there's a remnant of your old self on you still. 
Second question, can I change? Yes, you can change. In fact, you've already been massively changed. And so your future change is inevitable. God always finishes what he started. Last question, how can I change? God's word is teaching us that sanctification is inevitable. But inevitable in what way? Do I just let go and let God? Do I just say, God, I'm struggling with these sins, but I know... Change is inevitable, so I don't know, just change me. What do we do? How do we change? Ephesians 4.20. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is how we change. Ready? We change by daily putting off the old self and daily putting on the new self. That's how we change. When a prisoner is set free, what does he do? He takes off. He puts off his old prison garb. And what does he do? He puts on the new free man's clothing. What God is saying is, I've set you free. I've set you free. Your old man, your old self, he's dealt with. He's crucified on the cross. I've rendered him powerless, so now take him off. So now take him off. Those sins, those sins that you used to enjoy, those sins that held you captive, it's time to take it off. It's time to take it off. But it's not just about the taking off, is it? It's also about the putting on, putting on the new self, putting on the new righteousness, obeying and trusting God in ways you never have before. Putting off and putting on. Both are absolutely critical for change to happen. And there are serious dangers to just doing one over the other. You have to do both. The key is both. There are serious dangers to just doing one over the other. If all we do is put off and put off and put off without the putting on, okay? Many of you have been a part of these kind of accountability groups before, right? Where the sole purpose of you meeting together is asking this one question. Hey, did you sin this week? Did you sin? Well, of course you did, right? And it was a depressing thing to meet together every week to be asked this question. And it became kind of this legalistic thing. Just stop it. Just, just don't do it. But then you do it and then you'd be depressed. The act of putting off and putting off without putting on, it becomes a legalistic thing. See, you can't, you can't tell a hungry man to just not eat the cheeseburger. Sooner or later, the hungry man is going to eat the cheeseburger, But you can tell the hungry man, hey, don't eat that Big Mac, but instead come over here and eat the bone-in ribeye from Ruth's Chris instead. You can tell him that. See, you have to replace the cheeseburger with something that's better, okay? You guys with me? That food analogy lost on you? (laughs) All I'm trying to say is this. This old self, you have to put him off and replace. Replace the old self with something that's better, your new self. You have to do the putting on also. But there's also dangers to just trying to put on without putting off. There's also a danger in that. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You look clean on the outside, but on the inside it's filled with dead man's bones. Putting on, putting on without putting off, it creates hypocrisy. It creates hypocrisy because all of us, we face this temptation to believe that because we are serving, because we are busy and serving in all sorts of Christian activities, because I do all of these, because I give in all of these ways, right? Because I'm serving as a missional community leader, because I am serving the poor and the oppressed of this city, because I serve at set up and tear down, because I'm a deacon, because I'm an elder, because for me this week, because I work so hard in preparing this sermon that God will give me a pass at some things in my heart that I need to put off. I don't know about you, but the greatest times that I'm tempted to sin is when I'm putting on. When I'm putting on and putting on. Angela, get these kids out of the office. I'm trying to write a sermon here. You know, kids, just go sit down, watch TV, act like you're not here. I'm trying to commune with God here, right? (laughs) What am I doing? I'm putting on, but I'm not putting off. I'm putting on, but I'm not putting off. The great temptation is to believe that because I'm doing all these things for God, because I'm putting on and putting on, that he'll give me a pass and overlook anger issues in my heart, irritability in my heart. But it's wrong. Putting on without putting off is hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. So we need to do both. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. We change when we do both. But one last thing I want us to notice. Who is being told to do this work? Who is being told to obey? Put off and put on. Does Paul say, just sit there? And experience, just experience God taking this off of you. And just experience God putting this on you. Does he say that? No, he says instead, you put off the old self. You put on the new self. So does that mean when it comes to our sanctification, God plays no role? It's just all us. Does it mean that? No. Why? Because who's the one that's ultimately commanding? Who's the one that's ultimately commanding us to put off and to put on? It's God, right? And why in the world does he think we can do that? Why in the world does he think we could obey him? Because he's already done everything that is necessary so that we can obey him. He's taken our old self and crucified it on the cross. Our old self is dead. He's dealt with. He's been rendered powerless. That's the only reason we can put him off. God's already dealt with it. Okay? New self. Ephesians 4.24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Verse 24 tells us to put on the new self. And what about this new self? The new self, it says, has been created. Did you create the new self? No, God created the new self by the holiness, righteousness, and the obedience of Jesus. The Bible tells us Christians to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What God is saying is everything that is required for you to be able to obey, everything that needs to be done so that you could obey, it's already been done, so obey. 
You, you obey. You, you take off the old self. You, you put off the old self. You do it. When it comes to sanctification, we do everything. Put off the old self and put on the new self. And, and God does everything. He does everything that is required so that we could obey. When it comes to sanctification, we do everything and God does everything. Well, I know that could sound a little confusing, so let me give you an illustration. When Jesus commanded the paralyzed man to get up, take up your mat and walk. You guys remember that story? Jesus commanded a paralyzed man to get up, take up your mat and walk. Who did the walking? Who did the walking? Did Jesus do the walking for him? No. The man had to get up, and he did all of the walking. But on the other hand, could the paralyzed man, without Jesus' command, get up on his own and start walking? No, he couldn't. Dr. John Piper, he looks at this miracle, and he says it like this. He says, Jesus worked the miracle, but the man acted the miracle. Jesus worked the miracle by commanding, get up, take up your mat and walk. By his command, he enabled everything that's required for the man to actually get up. Jesus worked the miracle. But the man, he had to hear Jesus. He had to hear Jesus' command and in faith obey. Actually get up, take up his mat and start walking. The man had to act the miracle. So this is how we change. Every day. We hear God's command, take off the old self, put on the new self, and in faith, we obey. We obey. He's already worked the miracle. He's already done everything that needs to be done so that we could obey. But now we must obey. There is no shortcut. Sometimes when it comes to our sanctification, sometimes when it comes to our trying over and over and over again to deal with these sins and put these things off and to obey God in certain ways, sometimes we get tired. Sometimes in our weariness or sometimes even in our laziness, we say to God, God, I can't do it. I need you to do it. Sound familiar? Sometimes we say, God, I can't change. I can't put away these sins. God, I need you to do it. You do it for me. This this is me. This is what I've been doing. I feel like the bulk of my Christian life, just recently God's been challenging me on this. I don't know if this sounds familiar. And the reason I feel like it's, it's held on in my life for so long is because in some ways it sounds right. In some ways, it sounds right for us to say, God, I can't do it. I need you to do it for me. Sometimes It it sounds humble. It sounds spiritual. It sounds even like faith to say, God, I can't change myself. I need you to change it for me. God, I can't get rid of these sins. God, will you just just take away the desires? I just won't do it anymore. If you take away the desires, you do it for me, God. But is that faith? No, it's faithlessness. It's actually our last ditch effort at trying to hold on to our old selves. Why do I say that? How can saying, God, I can't do it, you do it, be faithlessness? Because imagine the paralyzed man, okay? Nobody's paying attention to a paralyzed man on the side of the road begging, but Jesus pays him attention. 
he sees him. He goes to him with great compassion. He looks at him and he says, son, get up, take up your mat and walk. And what if in that moment, the paralyzed man looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, I can't do it. Can you just pick me up and give me a piggyback ride? Jesus, I can't do it. Can you just pick me up and just move my legs for me? Would that be faith? Is that submitting to the power of Jesus? No, it's faithlessness. Jesus on the cross is saying, I dealt with everything. I did everything. Your old self that needs to be put off, I dealt with him. I crucified him on the cross. He's dealt with. He's rendered powerless. So take him off. He's saying, through my holiness, through my righteousness, I've accomplished creating for you your new self. And so put him on. You do it. You do it. I've done everything. Church, Jesus is saying, get up. When nobody saw you, he saw you. When nobody's paying attention, he paid attention. And with great compassion, with everything that he did, with the great accomplishment on the cross, he comes to you and he says, get up. Take up your mat and walk. Church, it's time to start walking. Let's pray together. Father, we are a faithless people. For so long in our false humility, in our false spiritualness, we've blamed our sins in you not changing us, you not doing it. God, we want you to do it. Just change us, God. And, and we feel like you haven't done it. But Lord, you've done everything. You've done everything. You've crucified our old self and you've created for us our new selves. And so, Father, help us to hear Jesus once again. We heard him before. By his voice, we were changed and we were saved. Let us hear him once again, that call to get up, take up our mats and walk. Let us walk, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.